once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely... Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. Okay, so it's May, and um, first things first, I have to clear clear the air because we have some things to catch up on. So we got a new kitten, and the likelihood that she will like smack my microphone off the table and or uh, chew on my headphones is extremely high. Uh, so be aware of that, and if the audio quality suffers, that is the reason. If there was a chance to play car crash noise right now, I, I would. <laughs> I think the dead air silence was sufficient. <laughs> yes. Good, good, good. Um, that's a uh, second bit of news item. We were uh, we were in absentia. We were just not here in April. I, I don't know the right Latin term for just being somewhere else. Um, but if you missed the April show, that's because there was no April show. Uh, I was I was unfortunately very busy, or rather fortunately, I don't know, however you want to look at it, running our national events. And Gopal was taking a, a sabbatical of some sort. Uh, yeah, that's right. And then also, let's not forget, I was in attendance at one of those national events. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Doing some excellent commentary at, I believe it was the high school national championship in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And you, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually got your local pool hall to air that commentary like a replay uh, during a match. Is that correct? Uh, yes, on several times during league night. It's very good. Uh, <clears throat> Daddy placement, you might you might call it. I would I would consider it good ASMR personally, um, but you know whatever floats your um, dinghy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I mean that it was made in it. I mean they were airing it, uh, you know, on the night that we we had league and like on ladies' night. So you know it's, it was an attempt to float uh, dinghies of sorts. You know what I learned today. Um, so. I had a trivia question, and one of them was uh, the boat. I can't now. I can't remember the name of it. Carvel, I think, is a boat or something like that. Carvel, or, I don't know. Uh huh. There's where we need the real train crash noise. Right wow, this this uh, Carvel is sinking real fast. Uh, uh, okay, keep going. All right, so uh, Gopal, I I think we should address uh, something because <clears throat> anytime it happens, it's like such a big deal, and I think maybe. <clears throat> The big deal this time is that, to me at least, and I, I want to take your time to try this, but to me at least, the world championship was not a big deal. And maybe that is the big deal. What's your temperature on it? Like, how do you feel about the recent, you know, the, the new world champion? <coughs> congrats, congrats to the only run, right? Um, well deserved. You know, he did everything mm -hmm. that he was supposed to do. He beat the players that were in front of him. 
Um, but what are your thoughts on the recently concluded World Championship match and everything that led up to it? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, like as Sean Paul uh, once said in his famous song, Temperature, I got the right temperature to shelter you from the storm. You know, uh, so that's if you want to take my temperature. Um, but as, as far as my feelings about it, I mean, you know, uh, so I like, okay, people are going to hear this and be like, okay, whatever. Like, sure, you're, you know, you're like a Monday morning referee or quarterback, whatever, whichever one plays the game. But anyway, um, <clears throat> like people that know me know that I've said Dingler in was a very strong candidate, if not like the next world champion. Uh, you know, I've been saying that at least for the past seven years. Yes, um, interestingly enough, uh, I predicted him, I believe, more than once to be the one who, not this year, interestingly enough, but I predicted him. He was my, my fan favorite prediction on the show. I'm on record on this for winning the candidates. I think twice. I predicted that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember, like, even the moment, um, like, these thoughts started to come into my head. I believe in 2013, he had a really nice game against uh, Aronian in the uh, Aliakin Memorial. And it was just a, just quite, uh, quite an ass-whooping, for lack of a better word. Um, I mean, okay, Aronian played in a sort of principled manner, um, but yeah, trying to like unbalance the position a little bit with Black, but Ding just totally manhandled him in sort of a, a game that you would say was very fitting for Aliakin style himself. Um, but yeah, just to see like his dynamic, uh, you know, grasp and like just you know maybe sure he had a, a leaning towards like <clears throat> the technical side, but you know, very much at home at dynamic positions too. So like the, the whole universal nature of his play uh, made me think that. And like, I've always been a big uh, uh, stan, as the children are saying nowadays, uh, for, uh, yes, yes, exactly. Um, yes. Uh, and so, what, what the hell was I saying? Oh, yeah. So basically... Yeah, I was a big dig stan or dig stan. What, what am I doing with my life? Um, but yeah, nevertheless, I, I have to agree with you. It didn't feel like it was as big of a deal, you know? Um, yeah, it was like some gravity or, or something missing. I don't know. Right. I don't feel the same way, um, you know, I would have felt like if you had told me a few years ago that, like, Oh, he is going to be, you know, the world champion. Like, even if, like, let's say he didn't play Magnus or whatever, um, you know, I would have been like really thrilled. Uh, I mean, the match was exciting, um, and how clutch like was was Ding at the end. But like, yeah, you're right. Just the, um, I mean, I don't know if Sean Paul would say that match had the right temperature. Yeah, I honestly, so that was what was unique about it to me is I think back to all of the Carlson World Championship matches, which of course are the most recent ones that we've had, right? And I think back to those and how I just, I wanted to watch every game and how interesting they were, but yet so many of them, obviously the Nepo one and the Anand ones are different stories, but 
but there there were some in there where it was just like a draw fest, right? Like Karyakin and Caruana, it's just like a draw. Right, fest. yeah. And it was, you know, every game was a long, not necessarily even a long run out draw, but there were just so many split split points in those matches. Right. Was, you know, Ding Ding versus Nepo, for me personally, I wasn't doing the same thing with the Carlson where it was like appointment viewing, you know, like I'd make make time in my schedule to wake up whenever I needed to wake up to go watch the match. I yeah. A lot more content to just kind of like watch a replay or even a recap. Um, but the games were like actually way more exciting. I mean, there were more mistakes. Obviously, we can talk about why that may have occurred, but um, the games themselves were, were a lot more interesting <laughs> in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, with uh, like, I, I would say obviously the the most dull match, if I'm not mistaken, was the Karyakin match. Um, yes, yes. I mean, you know, like what a win <clears throat> by Carlson, like on demand. Uh, you know, right. near the yeah, end, like right as Karyakin to, to snatch the to snatch the match back in control. Yeah, but just the kind of unapologetic uh, approach of Karyakin and. I mean, I guess you could say his his approach in life is just equally as cowardly, right? To support Vladimir Putin, like yeah, the, the six month ban. I mean, that was not enough. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, yeah, he was <clears throat> like yeah. After that match, I knew he would like fade away, uh, which which sucks because he was actually one of my really like favorite players, like uh, when I was growing up. Um, okay. you know, like mostly pure E4 player, um, yeah, Nidorf, like enjoyable, uh, games against the Nidorf and with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, but yeah, you're right. Like, I think I even forgot that <laughs> the world championship was starting. I remember I was in the middle of a lesson with somebody and I was like, uh, showing them some line in the Rui Lopez exchange or like the deferred exchange, um, like they played in the first game, like Castle Bishop E7, Bishop takes C6 in the Real Lopez. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, kind of like in today's match. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like it's the elephant in the room that we have to talk about, right? I mean, it's the World Championship <clears throat> podcast. It happened. It was a big deal. We have a new world champion. What is it, 15th or 16th world champion now? 15th, right? Carlson was the 14th. Yeah. We should know this. We should Micah Tui would be so disappointed right now. Who? Uh, <laughs> he's a, a chess historian, Micah Tui, one of the one of the few remaining chess historians. Um he was actually on, on one of the, I think the second ever episode of the Chess Underground, if I remember correctly. Um but I think so so we have a new world champion. This is like huge news, but at the same time, I'm just having such a such a difficulty in caring because you have you know, just just what was it? Just yesterday, like Carlson won nine blitz games in a row to win the the uh, Poland Superbet Blitz and Rapid, right? Like just dominating everybody. I mean, it it feels like you know what it feels like to me, and I don't know this this analogy might miss you, so I apologize if it does. But it feels like the year Jordan went and played baseball. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about there? Um, I've I've heard of this. Uh, it sounds. Yeah, you know, like uh, the horrific player in the world just like took a year off to go play baseball, the greatest basketball player in the world, took a year off, went and played with the White Sox, and some team won the NBA title, but like, you know, all of the spotlight and all of the news was on was on Michael Jordan and, and what he was doing and would he come back and 
you know, is he retired and this and that? And sure enough, he comes back and just and the Bulls dominate everyone a few more times. I, I kind of feel like that. Like, you know, I kind of feel like it wouldn't surprise me if that's in the works. You know, Carlson just comes back in a couple of years and, and takes back over. Yeah, that's true. I mean, <clears throat> also, I think there's something to be said for, like, I, you know, if he, like, what what could he do that, like, he hasn't already done, you know? So, I mean, I could see him kind of lacking some motivation. Plus, it's, like, it's very stressful, you know, to play, you know, chess at, at a high level. So, you know, I mean, he could maybe enjoy his life a little bit, you know, play some tournaments like this and perhaps even like push for a world championship format that he that he likes uh, yeah i mean i fully support that by the way you know non-chess or like fringe chess people or people who hear about this in the news i get asked i don't know if this is true for you too do you get asked a lot by you know people who are again I, i'm referring to them as non-chess or fringe. bro have you seen that show the queen's gamblet Yes, that, so that's a question I get asked a lot. But the yeah. other one that I've been asked is, like, why did Carlson not defend his title? You know, why did he not play in the World Championship match? That seems to be a more common question that I'm getting now. And, like, I, I will say this, like, as a, as a chess player and, a, a, like, a, you know, not, not a complete slouch myself, I, I kind of get it. Like, you know, it's uh, mm-hmm. obviously like, played in a World Championship or one or anything like that. But, like, I can kind of empathize, like, you know, just like been there you've done it you know what i mean yeah or, or problems like with the uh, you know with like motivation or or just like yeah. you know you think about like all the children that are going to be running around at the tournaments and their stupid parents that are going to be blocking you know the pairing <laughs> sheets when you need to when you need to conversation <laughs> turn into a go ball rant about just parents i don't know but I'm- i don't know i was just hoping somebody would clip it but like okay you know they they blocked the pairing sheet, and even though they looked at it like for like ten times already, like I wonder honestly, go away. Is that the same feeling Carlson gets like when he thinks about like oh, you know I've got to go and prepare like you know whatever uh, et cetera et cetera? It just it's that feeling of just like uh, do I yeah. really have like do I really want to put myself through that again? Right? Yeah, I I kind of think it is, and I kind of think maybe that's why like. You know, it's easy to understand that feeling of like, Ugh, you know, I got this again, really? Like, this is what I have to do? When instead, like, you know what you can do? You can just, like, you know, grow, 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 grow a man bun and go play poker with the boat dresses, right? That's what he's up to, I think, these days. Wow, if I had to sit at a table, like, yeah, across I mean, right, for like more than bad, five place. minutes. I think, you know, honestly, it's... If you think about that versus, you know, months of preparation, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. And to the best of my knowledge, and obviously I don't have any, like, special insight. This is all just stuff I've seen in the news. Carlson did his best to, uh, you know, attempt to negotiate with FIDE to change or to alter or to make the format more exciting. Right? You saw these stories, too? Right. Yes. And that was the beef, right? Like, what's the beef? That's the beef. And that's kind of the answer I give when I get asked that question by the, the non-chess folk or the French chess folk, if you know a little bit about the game, that's the answer I give is, you know, it's sort of like a dispute over format and, um, you know, wanting to change it and make it, you know, let's be honest, probably more exciting, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, isn't it funny to see, like, all these uh, <clears throat> uh, terrible chess players on chess Twitter uh, just be like, 
oh, classical chess is dying? Well, what about this? I'm like, okay, dude, like, first of all, shut up. Like, second of all, um, you know, it's... Classical chess is dying anyway. Huh? Who's saying classical chess is dying anyway? I mean, people are, but I mean, it's just like, as far as proliferating the game goes, like, to be honest, like, I mean, that's my hot take, or maybe not even that hot of a take. Like, you know, I think... You refer to it as proliferating. For some reason, that that makes me feel like, you know, like chess PGMs are just, like, replicating themselves. Well, you know, we've done some proliferating of our own at chess tournaments. Indeed, yes. I would say probably um, I have not grown the game as, as much as I would like to, but some I would say some of my PGMs that I have produced have been on the... Another yeah, attractive side, I'd say. Yeah, you know, you can you can find them on some strange websites, some of my PGN cities. Um yes, yes, which we talked about. It's uh theoretical status. Any anyway, I mean, but like whatever. Like I think yeah, like classical chess. Master Robert Hess at one point and was severely punished for it, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, but you played the worst line. But um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, classical chess, it's, it's whatever. It, it's, like, not as exciting. Like, I mean, I think I do think rapid chess and blitz is, like, more interesting and relevant. Like, it's, it's easier to watch. Um, I mean, people can try, like, more enterprising ideas. Like, it, it sort of puts a new spin on opening preparation, like certain ideas that maybe would not be uh, looked upon kindly for classical chess could be used in rapid chess. Um, yes, which kind of opens the opens the box a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, <clears throat> you know, so speaking of world championships, like, I had to help um, uh, Dr. Tansel Turgut prepare for a correspondence world championship final yes. um, a few months back. And, like, really, for, for those of you who don't know, like, <clears throat> correspondence games are are big wealth of uh information especially like the status of certain openings um you know the games might look a little bit funny because they might end up as like agreed drawn in like some crazy uh, or unresolved looking position but like you know <clears throat> the ensuing play is usually so perfect it, it gives like a good gauge for like the status of an opening um but like there's so many draws um at the at that level, like it feels like correspondence chess is nearly extinct. Um because like there are take, yeah, because I remember it was like it was healthy for a bit, like I don't know, ten years ago or so, right? Oh, absolutely. Like finding new ideas and, and it was a pretty healthy like genre. But now now that's not the case. Well well, I mean everybody's using the same strong engines and um I mean it's it's interesting because like you'll see. Uh, I remember reading a, a separate uh, in a separate note like the amount of uh, new courses and stuff written in the opening for like or from Black's perspective. Um, you know, it shows the tolerance of a of a position was higher. So like a lot of you know things that are maybe were not considered like tenable. Um, or super risky, actually, the engine um, holds. More okay than we thought. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the engines have gotten, like, that strong, and, you know, everybody's using almost the same technology, and it's just incredibly 
difficult to trick some of these computers, you know? Like, you might see one decisive game. And I mean, I think also, like, probably the most common way correspondence games are won now at, like, the top correspondence level is probably if the opponent times out somehow, you know? Wow. Interesting. I didn't have that as much, as much insight as you do into, into, that, into that format. But, I mean, I guess it's not too surprising, right? Because, because it's, it always seemed to me when I thought about computer trust that there had to be, a, at some juncture, like a point of diminishing returns where you can only be so strong in, in any given moment, right? Like, doesn't it feel like that has to be there? There has to be some horizon that, that right. by computer engines. It's just yeah, it makes significant improvements beyond that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we were thinking that <clears throat> basically until like Alpha Zero and the neural net revolution. Yeah, and then that, that right. Was, and yeah, I mean, this is a type of actually, uh, you know, Alpha Zero, just on a separate note, like, uh, I, I haven't seen too many people talk about it, but uh, Grandmaster uh, uh, Denny's Boros, friend of the podcast somehow, well, friend of mine, but um, anyway, he did a lecture, I think, once on St. Louis Chess Club with the sort of um, contention that, you know, we've seen this before in Tal's games. Um, you know, Tal had this reputation for these, like, crazy outlandish sacrifice semi-sound you know good in a practical game or whatever <clears throat> but in the you know analysis it was proven to be unsound but actually most of tall sacrifices later were proven to be good enough for at least a draw um interesting Why yeah like superior engines yeah i mean this was uh pointed out by like <clears throat> players such as tukmakov um and i know ivan sokolov and his book, uh, Sacrifice and Initiative in Chess. So it's interesting. I have, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, in fact, I would say most times, like compensation just sort of feels intuitive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then when you try to, to explain that to a student, right? Yeah. How do you explain like intuitive compensation to a student? I, I came up with a method that I kind of like, but it's, it's not foolproof. And there are plenty of examples where it doesn't work. I'm going to run it by you, get your, in, 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 you know, your thoughts on it, and then see how, how you do it as well, if you have any techniques. So what I do um, is I, I basically yeah, say, cool. um, okay, so what you look for is you look for like any, any bit of like uh, tangible compensation that you can notice. I'll give an example, like, okay, damage to the pawn structure, uh, opening of the king, uh, control of T-square, you know, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then for each one, you, you grade it as about like 0.7. So let's say you get like three bits of compensation. So you get uh, a damaged king, 0 0.7 to 0.8, I'll say. You get a damaged king, you get, uh, or sorry, you get open king, you get damaged pawn structure, and you get control of a critical square near the king. Okay, so maybe that's worth like not quite a piece, but close. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you like sack a knight, you get a pawn plus those three bits of compensation. Okay, so now maybe, I, now maybe it's enough. Right, so there's like this little rough math you can do. But that's how I try to explain it, sort of in concrete terms. What are your thoughts on that, and do you have, do you have different differences? Well, <clears throat> um, I mean, I like the checklist idea, and I mean, a lot of times by doing this in concrete terms for <clears throat> for less experienced players, um, you know, it's useful because they can talk themselves into making such sacrifices. Um, yeah, you know, because okay, like sure. it's. Right. I mean, my, my only thing with that is that, like, the 
value of pieces are are relative. They change throughout the game. Um, something which I don't really think is talked about enough. And um, yeah, I mean, the way I, I do it is like I I kind of something like you, but I just like talk about the position and you know. <clears throat> to develop that intuition, you know, you have to learn to develop like some sort of reasoning. So, you know, in order to talk them into a position, just look at the factors. Okay, what do you see? You know, remind yourself sometimes that like, hey, this is a pretty severe material commitment, commitment. but like, what do you see? Can your pieces be dislodged? You know, are the problems permanent? You know, um, <clears throat> and like, you know, that maybe the counterpoint to that is like, yeah, but what if my reasoning is, is wrong or, or something like that? Well, you know, that's how you have to learn. Exactly. Yep. Right. Right. You assess what, you know, what did I get wrong? And, and more importantly, like, why? Yeah. you know, what, why did I misassess that? Exactly. Um, but getting back or, originally to our, our thing, like, you know, the, the correspondence chess is great. Cause like, the since you're able to use computers and like tech you know uh books and stuff like that um you they're able to play like such demanding openings openings that would like even the most hardened over the board daredevils uh would think twice about um and like i think the problem like sometimes you'll see like we saw in the carlson karyakin match let's say like it takes two to tango and you know for an interesting match like both players kind of have to play in a more you know enterprising way like i mean report uh very original has a very original understanding um and yeah by the way we'll my all-time favorite chess with the kasparov his hits and world game of topolo that if i can right uh, yeah, the part in there where he says, you know, but Topolov looked up. Perhaps you received a message from above. You <laughs> 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 should play this way, you know, or that right, and not King B six yeah, or whatever. It was something like perhaps you received a message from above that you should you should make a, a beautiful a beautiful game or something like that. You know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it takes two, you know, to do that, and I think that's the moment there. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I could just see a lot of. I mean. You know, granted, like we've learned from such examples. So, like, the level of defense is higher. So, like, it, it seems like players in general are like more cautious or whatever. And, uh, you know, speaking to Topalov himself, um, I had a chance to um, get coffee with him um, really? in downtown Chicago. Yeah, after uh, the Illinois Open of 2019, um, Nikola Mitkov, who's been mentioned several times on the podcast, um, he. Yes, ex yes, exactly. The and yeah, the grandmaster that I second, by the way, um, <clears throat> they were in you know not far from me in downtown Chicago. So he invited me for coffee, and then so we were all just talking about chess. He even uh, looked a little bit at our uh, game that we that we played. We Nicola and I we had this like Titanic struggle at the that ended in a draw. Um, probably one of the most intense games I ever played. But talking to him. Um, he said something about like, yeah, it, it's really hard to see, but like the level of preparation at the highest level <clears throat> is just immense. Like yeah. there are so many openings where, you know, it looks like something interesting is happening, but black is really fighting for a draw. Now that was back in 2019. 
Um, right. And here we are four years further into the computer. Right. Yeah. We have a bit <clears throat> like stronger engines. Like, I mean, my contention is that like, yeah, it's a little bit easier now to be black, maybe even easier to be than being white because you have What's the inf information. Recently, I think it was called like black. It's okay. Right. Uh, no, Adorian passed away, but he was the author of, uh, there are multiple Black is Okay books. Um, you know, Chess for Zebra is a good one, like on this theme. Um, just rethinking like traditional ideas about Black and White. But, but like there, there are certain uh, players, I'm sure you, you would agree that um, don't do the tango very often. Yes, that that in that it takes two equation don't want don't want to be part of it. Right, and you know there's something to be said for that. I mean, look, you're playing very correct chess. You're maintaining your rating. You know, you get <clears throat> these invites. Um, you, you put the work in, right? You're playing the correct way. Yeah, I mean, sure, but and yeah. The, on the other hand, you know, Morozevich, who we love, like had a really, you know, kind of like big fall from grace like when he just crashed out of the elite like in flames um but you know he did so he did so on his terms uh i mean it doesn't really matter if like he he's like low 2600s which i don't think he is but you know he's he's still our guy yeah he had some of the most remarkable performances i remember a yell right was one of them um yeah he had a few good ones there and like just also, really incredible opening ideas. Another guy whose genius was like really vindicated much later than I felt like it should have been. Yeah, interesting point there, actually. And that bringing it back a little bit to our topic du jour, you know, where do we on that spectrum? On that spectrum of, hey, let's tango or uh, no, thank you, I decline your dance invitation. Where do we put our two world championship participants? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I was really happy to see the addition of report to Ding Liren's uh, team. It seemed like kind of a like an ideal compliment to to Ding. You know, who actually I felt the same way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, very orthodox. But like report is he's he's very remarkable at like finding a lot of ideas that I would describe as like positionally risky but resilient. Like, you know, somehow the idea looks, like yeah. yeah, like the idea looks ugly or something like that, but you know, it, it, it has a solid foundation, but it's, that is hard to see usually because the idea is so strange. Um, you know, I mean, Ding, okay, sure. Like they, they, you know, Ding can play the Berlin, Nepo can play the Petrov. I mean, you know, <laughs> right, boo, right. boo hoo, right. I mean, they can, you, you have to be able to do this and, you know. Like the guys, for instance, that play the King's Indian all the time, where are they? Like Rajabov and Nakamura, you know, they realize quick that, or Grishuk, like they realize quickly that it takes way too much energy to, to do that at a high level. Um, but like, you know, Ding, yeah, just a remarkable, dynamic player. Um, Nepo's definitely quieted down a bit, but like this is part of being the chess elite, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some level of maintenance that you have to, you have to be able to do, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, both him and, um, <clears throat> you know, I know you were talking about super bet earlier. Like if, if we look at Nepomnishi and Lagrave, you know, two of the biggest 
Grunfeld players in like the last, you know, 10 years, uh, you know, now they've like really started to, to realize like, okay, they need some, you know, more solid openings, some variety. Um, whereas before it was just like, you know, you, you knew what was coming. Um, but it requires, like I said, so much energy and like perfect preparation to, to do that. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And I mean, you think about this match in particular, I mean, there was a string there where it felt like every day was an opening surprise. Since you know, we talk about preparation, right? Right. Um, I mean, it even played the French, right? Um, that is not, yeah, not so surprising. I mean, given that he had some great games in it before, but to see it in a world championship match for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, frankly, that was one of the things I loved about the match mm-hmm. was, was the, you felt like it was almost like opening up a new little, a new little present every day, right? I mean, it wasn't the same. hundred percent. We're going to revisit, et cetera. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that particular aspect. Right. And yeah, and notice that like also a lot of the players weren't able to um, return to any opening ideas. Like whereas yeah. older world championship matches would have like these ongoing debates in a certain variation. Right, yeah, or you know, he's he playing the Tarash against Karpov, and then realizing no good. So then, like, you know, he had to really dig in, uh, and like, you know, that's when he like adopted the QGD with Bishop E7, and you know, had to weather the storm when he was like on the brink of defeat. Um, but like, yeah, the the like I said, the computers are so strong now that they kind of like solve a lot of these ideas um, pretty quickly. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like a more hit and run type approach, which is what modern, which is, you know, what modern chess is, um, essentially, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and also too, like, I, uh, quick question, I'm sorry to, to cut your line of thinking here, but is this the first world championship where we have, I mean, really seen that mentality on display, obviously clearly from Ding, um, no, I don't I think of a crossover. I, mean, I feel like they, they they at least revisited some kind of the line in, in the previous ones. I mean, is this the first, like maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm phrasing it wrong. Is this the first one that could be defined by that thing? Uh, I yeah, I, I mean I guess. Uh but like also too, the ideas were um a bit let's say esoteric if you're thinking about like world championship uh, openings. So, you know, naturally there would be kind of a hit and run. Like, you know, we could play like a, uh, I don't know, like you could invite me to play the Marshall Gambit, right? Like, and, you know, we could have that discussion because there are certain deviations before or after um, that could, you know, lead to some interesting discussions. But, but yeah, like Ding's, you know, H3, like, yeah, we knew he wasn't going to go back there um, in the in that uh, Queen's Gambit, which, by the way, like, can we talk about real quick the sort of, like, hype surrounding the match? Like, how, how many terrible takes you've read? Like, most people thinking the match is over, like, after, like, two games or, or something? That was remarkable. I mean, the, the, the up and down, the swings, and I wonder if it's just because... Chess, uh, in many many ways, I guess this is sort of a good thing. You know, chess 
Chet's coverage has become so hyper sensationalized with, uh, you know, the, the, I think, honestly, the, the, the pandemic that caused all these personalities to emerge, you know? Yeah. Or, or do you think they just, they all lost their jobs at Breitbart and Newsmax and decide to write for I mean, U.S. Chess know, right? There's a writer's strike going on right now in Hollywood. There better be something. That's true. That's and they're the ones who control everything, by the way. Yeah, I, the, the Hollywood writers? Uh, yeah. Hollywood yes. Yes, okay, yes to both. Um, yeah, I, so I think, like, that's a good point. There was, it did really feel like the, the, the media coverage was, was like a swinging pendulum, right? It was every, everything meant this or that, and, oh, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, it was interesting. It was very unlike previous world championships, of course, because that's how the match played out as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it also had something to do with the lack of a clear favorite, the lack of you know, the, the lack of a dominant a dominant player. Um, I, I can't remember. So, so I would say Carlson's world championship matches, other than the first one he won from Honor, he was the clear favorite in every one. Anand Topalov, I have a sense uh, at the time I felt like Anand was a pretty clear favorite. I don't know if that's that was the media's general perception or not. Yeah, I don't I don't really remember. Um, yes, I'm just trying to like go back to, to ones that have happened within my within my lifetime that I really have a clear recollection of. And I'm trying to remember the last time we had one where it just it felt like maybe there wasn't what about Kramnik Topalov, 2006? Oh, uh, that's a good Or yes. Kramnik Leko. Yes, maybe Kramnik Topalov, there wasn't really a clear favorite there. I don't recall feeling as though either of them were a clear favorite to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, like, Topalov was really, uh, that was, like, during one of his hot years. Um, you know, like, Jesus, age, like, between, like, 2004 to 2008, I would say, like, you know, like that, that man was like the hottest, the hottest dude on the planet. Like, yes. Um, yeah. And I, that was the time he was cracking 2,800. He was winning all those tournaments. And then, and the, the style, the manner in which he was doing it too. Like it was, he, he was like, who wouldn't want to play chess like him during that time? Like all like great preparation, beautiful like sacrifices dynamic play just like overpowering people constantly i remember um, in particular uh if i recall correctly it was some sacrifice like in the maybe the catalan where he allows the rook to take on e8 you remember that one and then the, uh it just gets the light score bishop and compensation oh you're thinking you're thinking of a it was like a a slob defense yeah, slob. um yeah, maybe like one of those A4, uh, A6, A4, E6, G3 thingies. Um, yeah, there, yeah, there are quite a few versions of that sacrifice. Um, all his games in the G3 Queens Indian, like how many great games do you have there as white? Um, but being able to play everything, but yeah, like yeah, maybe he was considered a slight favorite. I don't know. I, I have a recollection. I really don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure. Like, I what about um. What about Kramnik Le- uh, Leko, 2004? I, I had a sense that Kramnik was a pretty clear favorite there. I don't know. Right, and it didn't... Um, <clears throat> yeah, and it didn't, like, turn out to be so. That was another very seesaw uh match. Um, yeah. 
with Kramnik tying it up at the at the with the clutch win at the end, which sadly back then there was no playoff. Um, yeah, the tie just meant the title, right. right. Yeah, which I I don't know. I've I've always had mixed feelings about that. I don't really care yeah, for I it. I guess I feel like you, you got to be able to knock the guy off, <clears throat> but I much prefer a tiebreak format to try to do so. 100%. I mean, maybe it's because, like, Bronstein was, like, snip, uh, snubbed by that. Yeah. And, like, I've always been sympathetic towards him. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I always thought that that was kind of a bogus rule. But, um, but yeah, that, that was a very, you know, yeah, back-and-forth match. Um, like, famously, Kramnik, uh, like, his opening prep um, malfunctioned when, like, there was a position. It looks like he's it, he was white in a Marshall Gambit. He's like running his a pawn up the board. It looks like he's going to queen, and you know the computer says he's good. And I think Leiko just thought and refuted the the deep home preparation like at the board. Um, the the computer's horizon um, betrayed Kramnik. Really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As we were just discussing. Yeah, kind of a. a Extremely rare occurrence these days, but right. But 2004, you believe it? Oh, 100%. So it's interesting. We're you know, we're discussing format, and especially because that was you know, uh, Carlson, the, the second elephant of his big piece, um, was the format of, of, the, of the championship. I, there's a format that, I, that I've seen online lately that I really like, and I'm curious to get your take on it. Maybe you've seen this, maybe I'm sure you've probably heard of this, right? So basically. You play a classical game or a rapid game, but in this case, we're going to say classical because it's the world championship. Mm-hmm. And if the result is a draw, you play a rapid match. And basically, you're going to keep going until there's a winner somewhere. So if the rapid match is a draw, you play a blitz match. Two games, right? Just two games. We're not trying to take all day or anything. And two games uh, rapid? Uh, yeah, I guess because we need a white and black, right? Yeah. And then if that's a draw, you play Armageddon. And eventually you get a, you get a winner for the day. And I mm-hmm. remember this, and, and I remember this, uh, I can't remember the tournament, the online tournament that used this, but it, I think it might have been Norway, Norway Chess Classic. Does that sound right? Uh, uh, yeah, Meltwater. I remember there was that, um, like in the first year of the pandemic, like um, all those like Nakamura Carlson online clashes. Um, Yes, I think I think for some reason the, the one I'm thinking of is, is the Norway Chess Classic used this format, and I really liked it. I thought it was really exciting because when you get a draw, you know, a lot of a lot of fans aren't satisfied with the draw. Well, guess what? A draw means you get more action. First of all, right. So the complaints about draws go out the window. Uh, the other nice thing about it was players who were not willing to tango so much, which we just talked about, right? Yeah. So you have the, the less combative players who play more correctly, so to speak. Um, they have to tango at some point. Right. They've got, you know, the, the, the action is going gonna, is gonna to continue to proceed. Yeah. And there were a lot of decisive games, even, even within the time breaks. So <clears throat> I really like that format. Another way to think of it is kind of like as a daily winner, right? Mm-hmm. And when I think about the World Chess Championship, you know what? You should be able to prove that you're good in every format. You should True. Yeah. Yeah. I could. Yeah. Although you'll be be able to prove that you're superior to the public. And sure. Rapid and blitz. But that's why they they you know everybody makes a distinction, right? That it's like 
it's the world classical championship. Like, you know, I mean, but nobody, I mean, but it's the world champion, right? People refer, they don't, you, you don't hear Carlson. Refer yeah. Only virgins like will say world classical. Well, they'll say it because they're butthurt that like all the classical games ended in a draw, you know, you hear, but you don't right, but he's the world champion, right? And if you're the world champion, you should, you should be able to demonstrate that superiority in the, in the different um, formats of, of the time. I, my personal opinion, I like that format. Sure. I mean, I think, but yeah, I, I do think that's interesting as well. Right. And well, and let me think about that. I guess not. I guess it doesn't because you're gonna you're gonna get points based on days you win. So if you win the equal number of days, you still have to have a tie break at some point. Well, so there goes your idea. Um, but I ha I had an idea like for a, a tournament specifically, and this is like kind of with regards to like the players that don't want to tango. Um, so you know the the genesis of this idea was like uh, from pool. Um, you know, like there were certain players that were uh like basically killing the game a nine ball by not using a forceful break they would just break super soft um make the corner make the the corner ball the ball they, they expect to go in on a nine ball rack and then just play position on the one and like just have these boring half table um uh runouts um or like where they just clear the table but like it's just nothing interesting um you know so like they there were several um, ways developed to like get rid of the soft break. And like that way the game wasn't like dead, you know, in fact, if you rack the balls in a particular way, using the soft break, you could pocket the corner ball, make the one or two, and then like leave an early combination on the nine ball for the win. Um, so it actually became like a broken game with the template rack and the soft break. So, yeah, so how did I well, there are certain ways, like, you know, so there were tournaments that decided to use speed guns, which I, I kind of like. It, it ensures, oh. like, a forceful break. You have to hit the ball at a minimum speed or else. Right, yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Some sort of illegal break. They've had, uh, you know, three balls must pass the head string or the kitchen area, um, you know, to ensure that you spread the balls. That's... <clears throat> Horrific. No, no, your cooking is good. Um, but like where this comes to chess is like, I mean, it, as preposterous as it sounds, like why, <clears throat> why not like have these semi thematic tournaments where you're not allowed to play the Petrov or the Berlin or, well, like you know, a, something a, like a, that. A blacklist of openings, basically. Like anything on this list, you can't. Can. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Are that I kind of like that, I gotta say. Although at that point, I mean, why not just make it 960? Yeah, but I mean, the, you know, there's something very nice and harmonious about the starting position uh, that we have. And I mean, sure, you could narrow down. Yeah, it's it's just very classically beautiful. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater necessarily, but yeah, just... It, it, it sure i can also see another argument against it and like you know okay it's black if you have a theoretical disadvantage like um you know why are you being punished by like taking away some of these like neutralizing openings i mean if anything i think it could force people to find like more neutralizing openings so those the fans of those types of openings can be 
satisfied in that way. Now, I think that's not appropriate for a world championship, but, um, you know, it could do something with the players who don't want to tango. I like, I, I like that idea a lot, honestly. I would plan an event like that, personally. I, mean, I don't know if a lot of people would, but I would. I think that's cool. Oh, no, I, def- I definitely would. Like, I mean, neither, neither of us were like the, you know, could ever be categorized as like the sterilizer type to begin with, but... Um, yeah, even so, I mean, it's just like I a mean, take on, on, yeah. on spicing things up. Like For sure. So there's a question that I want to ask, and it's kind of an open-ended one. Um, and, and there's part of me, honestly, that hates discussing something like this, but also as sort of observers, as, you know, let's be fair, members of the media, which we are, we're producing this podcast, it's sort of our job to, to think about and talk about things like this. And, and are we chess influencers? Okay. I really hope not. If you're influenced Ugh. by me regarding chess, please do not think. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so sorry. The question that I want to ask, and it's an interesting one, and I think there's an obvious answer, maybe, I don't know. But the question is, how much does this world championship matter? And I'll, I'll frame that a little bit. There's a guy running around right now who's close to 2,900. Any tournament he plays in, he's the clear favorite. Um, he just won the, 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 the super bet, which we were just discussing, pretty handily. Pretty dominant performance. He has a stated mm-hmm. goal of reaching 2,900. And he's not going away from top-level chess anytime soon, at least that we know of. And he's not the world champion. By mm-hmm. So how much does the, the, the Ding Nepo world championship match matter? Well, it, it depends. I mean, it can it matters only as much as you as you want it to like uh i remember when around the time like carlson had, he became what number one player in like 2009 after that pearl spring tournament in china um and yeah he didn't become world champion i set an alarm to, to wake up for oh yeah for sure but like uh he didn't become world champion till four years later so i think spasky gave an interview once who said it's like a a I forgot what like royal titles he used. It's like it's not a game of like kings, it's a game of like whatever. But like you know, meaning that like okay, the the biggest guy is like not necessarily the guy in charge or something. I don't know. But um okay, interesting. Yeah. You know, like I of course I was so happy for Ding because uh uh, the other thing we forgot to talk about, we talked so much about opening preparation, like all of his training games got leaked. Um, yeah, oh my God. Which, what an obstacle. Like, and I played through all of them um, on almost every platform. But like, it, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, certain ideas he wasn't going to revisit, but like, there was some good, there was some good stuff in there. Um, and so to like overcome that as a handicap, like that's huge. Um. Yeah, so for, for listeners who don't know what, what Gopal's referencing, his, his games were discovered because people were playing through the actual games in the Lee Chess database, and by doing that, they just happened to notice that the actual games were corresponding to a particular username who had, like, the only master game in the database in those particular matches and had several of them. Uh, so by, by discovering that username, then all of his prep games were also discovered 
and yeah. publicly available, which obviously, of course, Netboat's team is going to look at. I mean, you can't pretend it didn't happen. Right. And it's like, you know, when have we seen secret training games for, you know, world championship? Like, yeah, of course, I'm going to look at that. Um, I mean, Botvinnik made a book of, of some, um, or maybe it was Timon that did a book of his, like, on Botvinnik secret training games. But um, anyway, like, what is it? What does it matter? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it, it's just the the weight that we like chess players for sure put a bigger weight on like being the world champion than I think most other sports like like pool, for example, so unforgiving, um, you know, a static game, but extremely dynamic. Like there have has been like I can't think of how many world nine ball champions like I know Earl Strickland was only one to win back-to-back ones in um, the early 90s, but it wasn't the truly international game that it is now. And, like, now everybody plays so great. And, you know, there's a new world champion every year. Um, Surely there's, like, a guy who's playing the best right now. Um, But, you know, it seems like they've come to terms, like, pool players at least have come to terms with that, like, you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting comparison because you know, as you pointed out, right? You just you come to accept it based on the nature and style, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, I think there's totally something. Right? Yeah, it's <clears throat> you know, you can uh, flex your muscles for a longer period of time. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, you know, like since I started to play pool, like, yeah, it kind of gave me a new perspective on on these types of things. So I think, I mean, there's the there's there's sort of the straightforward. What does it matter? Well, we have we have you know sort of buried the lead here. We have our first world champion from China, right? Mm-hmm. So congrats to him, a tremendous achievement. But I've actually been thinking about this question a lot. Like, does it matter? Does the world championship matter? How much does it matter? I've been thinking about that. And what I've come up with is that chess history is full of these unique stories. You know, we have Fisher uh, refusing to defend his title. Um, uh-huh. the, the super tournament to, re- to replace Oyekin, then the, the, piece, the emergence of the PCA, and the, the one year, I think it was like 2000 or something, or 98, when Kalikman won the FIDE World Championship. Well, yeah, there was already a, a few of them, right? Like, it yeah. started in... 1993. That was because of the PCA. There was exactly. a split. There was like this weird the FIDE knockout world champions. And then there was some unification matches. And so where I'm going with this is like chess history is sort of littered with these um, stories and unique circumstances surrounding the world championship and the world championship cycle. And so from that perspective, I'm going to actually say that to me, it, it matters quite a bit. Because now we have another one. We have a case where, you know, unlike Fisher, Carlson is not disappearing. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, unlike the Alyukin, he didn't die, right? So he, he's still here. He's still present. Not yet. <laughs> he feels sort of like a, a new chapter, very, very, uh, uh, very observant there so far. Mm-hmm. Time will get us all. But it's sort of like this new chapter where, um, how, to, how to say it? it? It's a new chapter where we have something being written that has not been written before. And that alone makes for this sort of unique wrinkle, right? Yeah, and I think that's great. Yeah. It's like the, the story of the game in some ways is, is almost 
um, more more weighty and, and more interesting than the game itself, or, or the champion itself, be that as it may. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the game that we keep coming back to, right? Like, regardless of, you know, who is world champion. And, like, you know, for some of us, like, especially, you know, if you're younger, like, yeah, maybe, you know, there was a goal to be, like, world champion or something. And then, I mean, it's not, like, settling for mediocrity, but it's, like, you know, realizing, like, how um, thankless at times that task can be. Um and, you know, at the end of the day, it's the, the game that we really enjoy. And like I said, we keep coming back to. Yeah, I agree. Can't quit you. <laughs> Can't quit you either. We'll it's a this, hat this, tip to Brokeback Mountain. What? Right, exactly. Uh, which, by the way, great story from uh, an Annie, Annie Poo uh, book, uh, collection of short stories. Um, Annie Poo? Poo. P-R-O-L-U-X. I'm not sure how she pronounced it. I'm... Saying it how I think it would be. Maybe it's any poo, poo, poops. I don't know. Well, it, let's just say that it was uh, that's very apropos for Brokeback Mountain. But um, based, by the way, on uh, Jan Nepomniszczyk's life story. I don't know if you knew that, but tells me that is not accurate. Okay. Well, well, this has been this has been great. Uh, I, I really appreciate. You know, these things will be uh, historically uh, very, very, very interesting. I think to look back on. And the unwritten chapter that's coming next, right? Like, does Carlson return? Does Perugia, uh, you know, do both the fashion and chess thing, you know, sort of simultaneously? Um, he's, he's playing well again. Um, so I'm very curious to see. I feel like the uncertainty is the fun right now. That, that, that's how I feel about the, the top-level chess world. It's like the uncertainty of the, you know, Gukesh and Aragaisi we've talked about before. What's coming next, and that—that is—that is the interesting thing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, uh, this has been great, Gopal. Uh, any final thoughts before we say good night and goodbye to our dear listeners? Um. Shout out to Annie Poo Poo P R O U L S. Yes, I'm sure she loves the show. Annie, if you're listening, we love you and send us more. What's up, baby girl? How you doing? Please. Uh, I'm an avid reader, and uh, Paul, you know this. I was, uh, I was an English literature major, so I mm-hmm. love the books. Keep them coming. For National Master, go Paul Menon. This is National Master. Be very honest. Enjoy talking to you guys about the World Championship. We'll see you in June. Love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Determination.